And, and the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is you don't need to be 100% in to participate in the upside that I believe is coming. So if you have 20% of your portfolio, which is a lot in Bitcoin, and it goes to the price target, I think it goes to 20%, you'll do just fine. <laughs> okay. And, and that's the way you manage risk. Hey, hey, welcome to the Weekly Hodl with Shibs, where I bring you weekly Bitcoin adoption news and interviews from voices in the Bitcoin space. I'm very excited to share with you my interview with the one and only Greg Foss, who killed it as always and really brings the energy. We chat about our time at Bitcoin 2022, basic bond math, Bitcoin is a hedge against fiat currencies, and Greg's conservative price prediction. Let's just get right into it right now. All right, Greg, thank you for joining me here on the Weekly Huddle. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. You know what? We had a good little chat prior to this, and uh, I look forward to, uh, to learning about you and your platform, and hopefully I can bring some value to your, uh, your listeners. I think that uh, won't be a problem at all, right? Um, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for the amazing job that you did at uh, Bitcoin 2022 um it, it it was uh i i think you're a welcome voice in the space and it was super awesome to hear your story and for you to put uh some of those things out there that you did sure. um but besides um you know just the whirlwind that it was what was kind of your biggest takeaway from from your time at bitcoin 22 uh 2022 2022 so uh yes it was a whirlwind um yes i'm very thankful for being part of it um, so there's two things and, and, and make sure you say, what's the second thing? Cause I'm going to hit the first thing. <laughs> All right. Um, the first thing, obviously the highlight of my, uh, of, of the event for me was being on stage with four billionaires. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Right. And, uh, uh, that was amazing because they are just, they reflect the Bitcoin ethos in my opinion. So I love this community because I've generally been surrounded by a community of takers my whole life. Um, uh, my, my career is focused on trading on, uh, on Wall Street. Uh, you know, I, while I lived most of my life in Canada, everything that I did traded through New York uh, only because I was a credit trader and everything trades through new york when you're when you're a credit trader so you don't have to live in new york to trade through new york anyway uh let's just be honest uh wall streeters are a bunch of fucking takers okay and i, <laughs> I and you got to tell me if i'm allowed to swear or not yeah I, just get after it trader like I, I try and and convince people that i'm actually a very polite trader per se or ex trader <laughs> because you know there's uh it, it's like living in a fire hall right uh uh, you know, when the fire guys get together, uh, every second word is uh, F this, F that. And it's, it's, it's just like that on a trading floor. So I apologize to the listeners. Uh, you I don't... Say I, well, here's the thing. And I do it because I care. And sometimes it's just a natural reaction. But anyway, such a bunch of uh, takers that I lived my life. And, it be, and the reason it's a taker, because it is a zero sum game. Uh, you know, if you make something, typically it's because it's a... Uh, it's, it's a trade that there's a certain amount of vig, they call the vigorish in the trade. And if you make so much, that means that whatever you make, you're taking away from what I could make, you know, yeah. uh, long story short, 
I love the uh, Bitcoin community because generally it's a, it's uh, the total opposite of what I live uh, in life. Uh, I would estimate the world is about 80% are takers and 20% are givers on wall street. It's got to be 99 <laughs> to one. Okay. Yeah, but the Bitcoin community almost flips that on its ear. It's like, I feel anyway, and this is my perspective on the Bitcoin community. It's almost 80% are givers and 20% are takers. And the takers don't last that long. They get weeded out. But the point I'm trying to make is the billionaires. Look, do you know how much when they spend an hour in their life on stage for free, that's probably more money than 60% of Americans will ever make. Okay. And I'm not saying it's because they're that special. It's just what they've been able to, to, to achieve in their life so that one hour of time of their time is worth that much compared to a typical American. And, and, it, you know, look, I'm not saying they're better people than the typical American, but you got to look at the, the reality yeah. and they were there and they were shaking hands and they were just like, us okay and so that's what i love about the uh, the bitcoin community and yeah. so that's my first takeaway and this is uh, this isn't just being on stage this is the whole entire week in uh in in the city uh meeting people in various environments and uh just having a blast and by the way it's really important to understand of that whole time you're meeting people very seldom are you talking about the price of bitcoin Never You're talking about the future and the potential and what it can do to change the world. So, so that's a huge takeaway. And, 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 uh, and then my second thing here, unless you have a question on that, I'll, I'll go into my second part. No, go ahead. I mean, honestly, I, yeah, I felt that same sentiment. Awesome. So my second part, and I think you were making mention of this, and if you weren't, I'm still going to bring it up. You know, I, I've been fairly open in my career about my mental health challenges but it happened to be on stage where I, and I, this wasn't rehearsed because none of it was rehearsed on stage. I, mean, I, had talked, <laughs> yeah. I had talked to these guys individually, but we never talked as a group as to how this thing was going to unfold. Anyway, on stage, I just look, I said to people, look, yeah, I, I after 30 years of uh, living in the trenches, trading and the stresses and everything that go with uh, a daily grind, I hit the wall to the point where my life spiraled out of control. Uh, trading was one of my, uh, uh, you know, touch points or whatever my, uh, triggers, as they say in the, uh, in the, in the industry, what triggers your anxiety, what triggers your, your susceptibility to be, uh, depressed. And for listeners who've ever experienced this anxiety and depression are very closely linked. Okay. That, you know, they treat it with the same drugs. Uh, they, uh, are, are natural fight or flight, uh, uh, tendencies within the human, uh, condition and one can lead to another. And then you can go through cycles where you, you know, you're anxious, you're on a mania, then you go into a depression and that's something called bipolarity. Anyway, long story short in 2015, I put my hand up after 30 years of, uh, of trading and, my hedge fund had just been bought two years prior to that had been bought. And two years to the day, I put my hand up and said, fellas, I can't do this anymore. I am absolutely fried. Okay. Uh, my body was uh, the adrenaline that had gone through my body for so long. 
it was like, uh, you know, my body was screaming for some relief. And so I had to retire because I was going to do some stupid stuff uh, when I was sitting in a trading chair and no one wants someone who's like a nerve end managing your money anyway. Yeah. But anyway, everyone said, okay, Foss, okay, you're done. You're done. But the good, the bad thing is that when you retire, cause I did officially retire, you lose your sense of identity. Okay. When you've done something for 30 years and people expect you to have an opinion on this an opinion on that and tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. And you're not doing it anymore. And all you're doing is sitting at home worrying about the price of gasoline and stupid <laughs> shit like that. You hit the wall and I yeah. hit the wall and I, I brought this up to people and anyone who, out there who's listening to me right now, uh, if you're not comfortable talking about it publicly and I, I'm, you know, sort of comfortable, but it's not like I'm trying to impose this on anyone. The amount of outreach from people who I, uh, you know, I announced to the world, look guys, I was suicidal. Like, can you believe a guy that's done now, I'm, I'm not, nothing special, but if you measure your career by the stupid stuff that Wall Street measures you by uh, in terms of earnings and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, what sort of car you drive, not that I give a shit about cars, but I do give a shit about houses. I do give a shit about uh, stuff that I'm able to contribute to. I, I sort of ticked a lot of boxes and I was miserable, not just miserable, like I wanted my life to be over. And, and that's fucking horrible, isn't it? When you have three kids, which I have, and a beautiful wife, beautiful in all ways, wife, and I'm bringing their lives down because I'm just a, I'm a wreck. So I expose this. I said on, on, on stage, and this is partially, uh, you know, that the timeline wasn't exactly the same, but Bitcoin helped to rescue me, helped to bring me back, helped to give me hope that there is a solution to all the insanity that's happening in the world that I lived in for 30 years. So that's the second thing that came out. Not that I said anything on stage, but the response from the people out there. So thank you for that uh, to the people. Um, also to anyone who's, who's feeling uh, vulnerable at this point in time. Uh, I am, I think I am. I know I still have it in my body for the rest of my life. I'm not going to pretend I'm cured. I am not cured, but I'm dealing with the reality of the chemicals in my body or just my mindset, etc. There is hope. Now, a lot of people never come out of it. This is the horrible thing, right? And, and we don't even know what the uh, implications are going to be of all the stresses that uh, government shutdowns and, and, you know, the COVID fear and everything uh, have caused on the population that that we will see in the next couple of years particularly in kids and, and think, and people that, you know, 20 something year old kids that are like, frig, I don't even have a full-time job yet. And I'm supposed to live another 50, 60 years yeah. of the uncertainty going forward. Anyway, just to say this, the outpouring of, uh, of love and, uh, and, and support and uh, listen, Thank you so much. But also, also, some people have reached out and, and said, can you help me? Can you give me direction here? I, I need to be real clear, right? I'm not a professional at, at any sort of thing like that. Yeah. What I am is proof, I hope, knock on wood, I hope that I'm sort of proof that you can, believe me, you touch bottom as far down as I went. There's not much farther to go. Like contemplating suicide every day is a friggin' horrible existence, okay? Yeah. 
And that's where I was. And, and you build yourself back gradually. Um, partially it's because your chemicals in your body are repairing themselves. Your, your brain is, is coming back and saying, look, stuff isn't, you know, you're seeing th stuff through a warped lens or whatever. You, you got to teach yourself this, but I, I guess all I'm saying is if you're, if you're struggling and most of the world is okay. Don't believe the numbers like one in five. Okay. It's not even close to one in five people who suffer stuff that I've gone through. It's way higher. And by the way, everybody is susceptible to it once again, because you are born with the fight or flight uh, adrenaline in your body. Why is that? Because that's what allowed the humans to survive, survive the yeah. saber the saber tooth tiger attack <laughs> and all that shit okay so young kids i'm not saying there's a lot of them but there's more than zero that have reached out to me and said can you help me out yeah. and you know what what can i do really i just say look here's my experience you need to get help consistent help and that's what helped me my biggest uh, crutch was my family um, if you, you gotta be honest with people, some people are real scared to, to tell even their closest family that they're yeah. struggling with shut. Yeah. Uh, I know both of my parents, uh, who struggled, uh, there was a time when, you know, they couldn't even bring it up to their friends outside their own, uh, their own circle because it was viewed as a, uh, uh, you know, a weakness or a handicap. So, so there's my second thing, a uh, little bit long winded. That being said, it's the most touching stuff that reaches out. And some of them even go this way. I'm going to paraphrase. I think you're an idiot. Okay. But I love the <laughs> fact that you were able to admit your weakness. Yeah. Therefore, I have enormous respect for you. And I, okay? I, I don't, I, I don't think that there's anybody who would say it any differently. Right. Like, I mean, you're, you're using, you know, and unbeknownst to you, you're using a platform that you had uh, yeah. to help people, to help people in a different way. And so uh, I applaud you for that. Well, as well, thank you, buddy. You know what here? And just to wrap this up with it, you know, it wasn't scripted. And that's perhaps uh, and, and, and by the same token, like if I was 28, it would be so much more difficult for me to say that. Because you never know who's looking at you to potentially be a partner or an employer. Yeah. And then looks back and says, ah, just, I, I don't know if I need that uncertainty of that character. Now, as unfair as that is, it is a reality in life. And so I'm, it's easier for me to say it because, you know, I'm never going to work for anybody ever again in my life. Yeah. Um, I can be honest about it, but if I was 28, listen, guys, I hear you. I just want to give you my support, however I can offer it. So let's, yeah, let's move to the, to the next, uh, uh, the next chapter, but thanks, thanks yeah. for bringing it up. Yeah, no, no problem. Absolutely. Um, so one of the questions I want to set for people that don't know you, you know, you talked about running a hedge fund a little bit. Yeah. Um, you, you, uh, mentioned quite a bit, uh, your workings with bonds, uh, yes. Bonds to, let's say, 95% of the Americans or people around the world that don't have like a financial understanding of how they play and what, what their piece is in the greater financial picture. Can you kind of 
put it in the simplest terms sure. uh, explanation of bonds? Yeah, so great, uh, great question to start. So yes, I have spent over 30 years of my career trading bonds as my central focus. Now, I also traded equities. I also traded a ton of derivatives. But basically, the way I come at every single problem is from what they would say a credit lens. Now, people need to understand that credit, which is effectively loans from a bank or bonds issued on behalf of the US Treasury or corporations, uh, I focused on a specific uh, niche within the corporate bond market called junk bonds. So they were, in fact, the riskiest of the corporate bonds. But that being said, all they are is obligations from a borrower. In the case of the US Treasury, the US Treasury is borrowing money from all sorts of different lenders around the world. Uh, it's an obligation on behalf of the borrower to make payments to the lender on a contractual basis. Now, this is important, Julian. It's a contract. It's a fiat contract over a specific or a specified term. You know, you got five-year bonds, 10-year bonds. In the case of U.S. Treasuries, they can issue 30-year bonds or yeah. even longer. This contractual obligation comes with a coupon. It needs to be paid twice a year, semi-annually, every 180 days, where you have a contract to make that interest payment. The principal amount that you put up at time zero, the value of the loan that you are making to that treasury or counterparty, uh, it has a term to maturity. And you can hold that bond for the term to maturity, or you can decide within its cycle to sell it if you wish. And the price of that obligation will go up and down as a function of everyday inputs, which includes different interest rates, which are impacted from things like inflation expectations, credit quality concerns of the lender, of the borrower rather. Let's say you're a lender and you, you say something like, I only lend to the best borrowers, okay? Mm -hmm. US Treasury, AAA gilt edge type of borrower. Let's say you lend to a corporation like General Electric, which was a AAA gilt edge borrower, and you decided you want to lend a 20-year uh, obligation. Five years into that obligation, General Electric becomes a much more risky credit. This is an actual event that has happened. And suppose you say, I can't be a, a lender to that borrower anymore even though there's 15 years left on my contract, you can turn around and sell that obligation. There is a willing buyer within the market that will buy the remaining term of your contract for a present value price. That's the price of the bond. So that's what I did my whole life. Bond prices go up and down as a function of all these inputs. Here's what I need your listeners to understand. The bond markets or the debt markets in total, which includes bank debt, it includes private debt, it includes junk bonds, it includes structured credit, it includes US treasuries and uh, debt of all governments, sovereign governments globally, state mun municipality, etc. Blah, 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 blah. 
That is the biggest market in the world. It dwarfs by a factor of four the size of the equity markets. So what is this, like 300 trillion or something at this yeah, point? 400 or tri- 400 400? trillion, 400 trillion of total global debt versus 100 trillion plus or minus of total global equities. Yeah. US wow. dollars, US dollar equivalents. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what, like, what are the challenges that you see, you know, you're, you traded bonds for years and, you know, you're, you're clearly your posts on Twitter are, you know, get out of bonds, right? Like it, it, it's at a guaranteed point, loss at this, at this point. point. Well, yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's what people need to understand. Uh, I was lucky enough to enter into the bond market when uh, in the late 1980s, uh, the USA had decided they were going to fight inflation by raising rates on overnight lending, which is uh, set by the Federal Reserve, to double digits. In the case of the United States, 16%, 16% was wow. the value, the, the interest coupon you could get by lending to the US Treasury. Isn't that remarkable? But it's yeah. because a number of factors contributed to that. The biggest factor was in the early 1980s, the USA went through a bout of inflation, which mimics what we are going through right now. Okay. Uh, And Fed Chairman Paul Volcker, famous guy, he turned the dial and he said, I'm going to kill inflation. But inflation went to a level that required bond yields to go to 16%. Now, over the next 40 years, this is, you know, I'm going to dumb it down a little bit over the, please do (laughs) from, from 1982 to 2022. So that period of 40 years, interest rates went from 16% all the way down (laughs) to under 1%. Yeah. Bonds were a great investment at 16%. Hell yes. They are a horrible investment, in my opinion, <laughs> at the current yields. And just yep. to put the context, the last time inflation was eight and a half percent, which is the current consumer price index in the United States recorded as the inflation rate. The last time CPI was at eight and a half percent in the United States. Yeah. The 10 year U.S. Treasury yield was over 12 percent right now the u.s 10-year treasury yield is under three percent yeah so when interest rates go up or the coupon or the required yield on your bond needs to increase the price of your bond goes down so for 40 years we were living in an environment where generally the price of the bond went up because interest rates were going down now we have hit this point an inflection point I don't, it's impossible that it goes back to 16% because the USA has such a debt burden that it would bankrupt the country to pay a coupon of 16%. But I promise you, the right coupon is not 3% on the US 10 year when interest, excuse me, when inflation is eight and a half percent. Anyone who owns a bond right now is getting absolutely skewered in two ways. Firstly, they're not earning an appropriate coupon or yield on their bond. And secondly, when they lend the treasury $100, 
for a period of, let's say, 10 years, after 10 years, the value of the $100 that you are likely to get back in 10 years, barring a default, the value of the $100 you, you lent to them at time zero after 10 years is worth, I don't know, 60% yeah. purchasing power. Purchasing power, yeah. Okay, so this is what you need to understand. That's why bonds, in my opinion, but I think I've sat in a risk chair long enough to give this opinion, <laughs> they are the worst return for the risk I have ever seen in my career. Hence, I say, as you said, don't put your money in bonds. That yeah. being said, lots of people still have their money in bonds. I've been running and ringing this bell for over a year and a half. It is what it is. Yeah, it, it gets a it gets a little tiresome for sure. But I That's mean, it's not tiresome. There, there, there are. I mean, pension funds. Yes. You know, fixed incomers that are sixty percent. You know. Uh, on on the bond sides, you were I mean, not say fixed incomers. You were probably going to say retirees. Yeah, retirees. Yeah, the typical thing. There's a, a a rule out there. You take your age, and that's how much bonds you are supposed to have in your portfolio <laughs> yeah. as a percent of your. Let's say it's there's only two assets, bonds and equities. If you're 60 years old, you're supposed to be 60 percent bonds. 40% equities. Yeah. If you're 80 years old, it's 80-20. If you're 100 years old, I guess you don't own any equities. Yeah, fuck you, God, And God bless. And, and fuck you, Charlie Bunger, just as, as, as we're on, on that subject. But but look, um, for now, that's an antiquated allocation methodology. Yeah. And by the way, I would not recommend anyone of any age, whether you're 100 or 10 years old, I don't recommend you own bonds. They are the worst return for the risk that I have ever seen in my life. There's way better places to put your money and way safer places to put your money. All right. So so speaking of way safer places, um, let's get into Bitcoin a little bit. What was the trigger point we go, yeah, that, that sent you? Quite there. Why don't we just say where are safer places to put your money? Yeah, bonds? sure. And for people that haven't, gone down the rabbit hole yeah right now value stocks okay even though the price goes you know is exposed to real estate even still real estate's had a crazy good run still a better investment doesn't mean it can't go down yeah but in my opinion on a risk return basis a better investment than bonds so hard assets whether they include growth equities or excuse me value equities growth equities i i think are are uh, susceptible to more price corrections. That being said, hard assets. I'm not a gold bug, but I do own gold. <laughs> Silver, commodities. Absolutely. Equities, real estate. They're all hard assets that are not contractual returns. Their prices will keep pace generally with the inflation expectations in, uh, in a system. So then you were going to say, let's talk Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, in my opinion, the best of the hard asset group. So I just threw out a bunch of hard assets to you. I own them all. I own a bunch of real estate. I own a bunch of metals. I own a bunch of commodities. Of course, I own Bitcoin. I own zero bonds. In fact, a portion of my portfolio, I am borrowing. I'm the reverse of a bondholder. <laughs> I am 
taking the cheap money that the bank is willing to lend me and investing in things like levered real estate. That's, that's not a crazy thing to do. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's where I come. And so then you were going to get to your Bitcoin question. So yes, Bitcoin is, in my opinion, the best of all those hard assets, but look, I own all those other hard assets too. I'm not a hundred percent in Bitcoin. I'm that's my biggest hard asset exposure is Bitcoin, but it's not a hundred percent of it. Absolutely. So what, what would lead you to the path of coming to that determination that Bitcoin is the the hardest? No, 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 not of a hundred percent of like, what, why is Bitcoin right? Like I have family members who, who are in the 70, you know, 60, 70 year old, age and and one of the questions is why should i even have any interest in it i know it's so hard but i guess the answer i say is you're trying to pass wealth to your children probably to the extent that these 70 year olds have enough money to live on for the rest of their lives part of it is going to go to be to their the hair the heirs of their estate and in my opinion you want to conserve the value of the energy that you have put into the world you want to pass that monetary energy to your children so that they will benefit from all the hard work essentially that's what energy is work is energy as physicists and uh engineers which i am um you want to be able to conserve the value of your energy and pass it to your heirs so that the state isn't, isn't stealing the value of your energy from you when you want to pass it to your kids. Um, so a 70 year old may say, okay, I don't give a shit about that. And then I'd say, okay, I don't give a shit whether you're in Bitcoin <laughs> or not. But if you do give a shit about that, you have to be in the, in my opinion, the best hard asset that humans have ever created. And that is Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the 2022 has been uh, off to like a crazy start, right? Like there's been a bunch of macro environmental stuff kind of crazy going bad. on. Yeah, yeah, crazy yeah, cr- bad. yeah. War in Russia, lockdowns in China, you know, breakdowns in supply chain and things like that. What, what, what type of effects do you see this having on uh, the market as it stands today, the, the, the debt market and and where does it all kind of go from there? You know, good question. Look, every single market, it doesn't matter whether it's equity markets, credit markets, real estate markets, all these other hard assets I've talked about is a game of confidence, right? When people are confident in themselves or in the future, they are amassing these assets as a store of wealth to fight the degradation of their purchasing power. Um, But it's always confidence, especially credit, because credit is a really shitty game, okay? As Ricardo Salinas said on stage with me in Miami, in only a way that a beautiful billionaire who's, (laughs) uh, you know, made as much money as he has in, mostly in, uh, uh, by being an entrepreneur, says, what's the best thing? that you can get in a bond, you get your money back. Now I understand his, his, his inkling, but with all due respect to bondholders who do make good risk adjusted decisions to own bonds, it's the value of the coupon you get on that bond. that is really what determines whether it's a good investment or not. And the value of that coupon has to be 
compared to the credit quality or the credit concerns of that borrower, as well as the inflation expectations in the macro economy, right? But, you know, I've sort of laid out that none of the coupons that are available on the bonds right now, or the yields to be more exact, uh, properly reward you for the true risks the risk that you are taking. But there are times in the global economy when it's, you know, imagine buying a 30-year 14% yielding U.S. Treasury bond in 1982. Like, how brilliant is that? You, okay, see ya, see ya in 30 years, okay? I'm earning 16% annualized from the best <laughs> borrower in the world. Like, that's a pretty simple trade. Yeah, like, pretty. Okay, so we're not there now. Easy. Yeah, we're not there now. Um, coming back to it, it's all about confidence in any market. It's about the confidence that you are holding something that you will be able to sell. If you need to, you will be able to liquidate at a price that will be beneficial compared to the price that you paid for it when you entered into either the contract, which is a bond, or when you entered into the speculative asset, which is non-contractual. It doesn't mean it's more risky. It just means there's no contract to it. An equity share. An equity share of Apple doesn't have a contractual return. You could say, well, they pay a dividend. People, <laughs> the dividend is non-contractual. They can cancel that dividend at any yeah. time. And there's no default reper repercussions. You try and not pay a coupon on a bond, that's not an <laughs> option. You are in default of your obligation if you don't pay that uh, that that thing. Okay, so. Confidence is the big game. Right now, the confidence of the world is getting a little shattered, uh, not surprisingly, because the people running the global economy are a bunch of drunk drivers. Okay, like I have never seen less confidence in my entire life in the most important risk chairs of the world. This includes Jerome Powell, who I don't know what he was thinking, taking that a second term. Okay, he must really be that <laughs> stupid that he thought taking a second term could possibly turn out better than his first term. Like what a, what a buffoon. There's but, no, no chance, no chance. Okay. It's zero chance. It's all mathematics. Yeah. But then you have also the leaders, uh, the political leaders, they're tightly tied. In the case of Canada, we have an elected leader who uh, I'm not a huge fan of, and I've made that uh, public. I'm not a huge fan of Justin Trudeau because he, and this is a shame, you know, it's a shame not shameful, but it's a shame. He's admitted he's horrible at mathematics. Well, it's sort of like saying a surgeon who's lost his eyesight should still be a surgeon. Like, I'm sorry you've lost your eyesight, but dude, I don't want you operating on me if you can't see. Well, Justin Trudeau admits he's horrible at mathematics, yet he's the CEO of a trillion, $2 trillion economy in Canada. Okay? Like, you can't say stuff like, the budget will balance itself. That is like 10 year old thinking or more honestly, it might be the thinking of a, a kid, a spoiled kid who grew up on his daddy's credit card and has never had to actually balance a budget based on his own. Cause you know, dad will always pay for my credit card. So, you know, we have that in Canada and then I'm not going to let the U S off risk-free either. Like I actually, as a foreigner, looking at the current administration in the United States, 
send your hate mail my way if you want, but I don't <laughs> think that Joe Biden should actually be allowed to drive a car, let alone manage the world's <laughs> richest economy. Okay. I actually think there is a danger that he is a non-competent driver. Send your hate mail. It's only an opinion. <laughs> Jesus Murphy people look at the facts. Okay. Do me a favor. If you're ever going to get him to try and say the word kleptocracy <laughs> or kleptomaniac, at least get him to practice the fucking word before you get him on stage and he giggles like a fucking moron that he can't say kleptocrat. Okay. Look, he might have a speech impediment and that's a horrible thing. It's not a speech impediment. This is a man who should not be managing the largest economy of the free world, pure and simple. And I'm not saying that man was a Republican either. I'm just saying facts are facts. We have gone through a period of very, very poor senior management at all levels of all administrations. And what does Agreed. that do? It reduces the future opportunities for our children. And that's what really bugs me the most. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. So, you know, from one old man to uh, another. Yeah, no, no, not, not me. From one oh. old man, as in Biden, to okay. uh, to, to, me, to me. no, Come not on. to another, to another. Uh, I want to I want to get you amped up since you seem like you're kind of getting there already. But uh, 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 this is a Sunday. I'm actually pretty relaxed. Right now, but, uh, <laughs> well. So did you happen to see uh, Warren Buffett's comments or hear Warren oh, yeah. Buffett's yeah, comments no, regarding well, Bitcoin? Well, Char Charlie Munger, I mean, both of them are uh, conflicted. Okay, so let's call a, a spade a spade. And I know, okay, so I, I'll, I'll retract that because I'm told that's a bad, uh, a bad uh, phrase. Now let's call facts facts. Okay, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have benefited their entire investing career from what's called too big to fail or the fed put or the fed backstop okay it's not surprising that they are dissing a platform like bitcoin which will disintermediate finance yep. and the fed so let's just look at it from that very simple perspective both of those men have made incredible amount of wealth because the fed has always been there to bail out the system of companies that they are highly invested in, okay? It's that simple. So firstly, that's the truth on that metric. But even if it wasn't, are you supposed to take te technological advice from a guy who's 94 years old and probably has no clue how to code in computer language? And by the way, I bet you, he does not have any idea how an iPhone properly works, nor do I. I give my iPhone to my kids to fix when I have a problem with it. Okay? Even though he owns billions of Apple share. Okay, but that's not him. That's a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a sub-advisor who's yeah. put him into that. Uh, and Apple, by the way, is more of a marketing company than a pure software company. But look... Everyone's going to say Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are great Americans. I'm not going to argue, but I don't think they are right on this front. And in fact, if you broke it right down, I can tell you why they are conflicted. 
And it, it quite honestly bothers me that someone who should be not caring of what their worth is right now, yeah. and more caring of giving back to the country that made them great, they should be talking honestly, not yeah. in a conflicted manner. That being said, it is possible that they truly believe what they are saying, at which point I will say they have not done their homework. Okay. Bitcoin is a journey. And I like to say Bitcoin is an IQ test in risk management. And if you just read the first chapter and listen to people like Peter Schiff and all these conflicted commentators, you'll believe that Bitcoin is a Ponzi. I've researched Bitcoin for over six years, thousands, uh, hundreds of hours of research. It is very simply the most brilliant technological and financial opportunity I have ever seen. I'm not certain, but I am highly confident that this will solve the Fiat Ponzi. What I am certain of is that Fiat is a Ponzi. And I am also certain that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have a vested interest in that Ponzi continuing because that's what's made them rich up until this point. And Jesus H, whatever. <laughs> At the end of the day, if they are not, if they don't have the ethical and moral obligation to tell the American public the truth, then I have to call it out. I believe that Charlie Munger is lying. And it makes me sick to my stomach because I have three children that are going to be compromised because of his uh, platform. Mm -hmm. If he's not lying, then he's not as smart as everyone think he's, thinks he is. <laughs> he is intellectually lazy and he's 90 whatever years old. Yeah. Okay. He's, his best before date has passed. Just send the fucking moron out <laughs> to the pasture. Thanks for everything you've done. Shut the F up, okay? <laughs> it is really, really discouraging as someone who knows the problems in the fiat system has seen them. I've lived through four successive financial crises, okay? Each one gets worse. Each one is exactly because we never solved the, the, the problems from the prior financial crisis. And the next one could be the one that blows up our beautiful world. Stop being so selfish. Tell the truth. That includes icons like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Jamie Dimon. They know, in my opinion, the truth. And they are too squid-like to actually come out and admit the truth. And if they are not, they don't know the truth, then they're not as smart as you thought they were. It's so clear that like Jamie Dimon knows exactly what's going on, you know, yes, and, and no, he's you like, know, I, I, you can only say that because look, honest stand, he can plead ignorance. And here's the cool thing. No one's going to say that he's wrong because it's an uncertain outcome going forward. I, yeah. All I will say is I know that the fiat system is as risky as I've ever seen it. The four financial crises that I've lived started in 1988, Latin American debt, 1998, long-term capital management, 2008, the great financial crisis, 2019-20, COVID, okay? Or 2020, yeah. COVID. 
Like these were events that shook the world. We don't have that much dry powder to correct the next crisis that we are going to go through because the Fiat Ponzi has just transferred risk from every single subordinate level to the top level of risk, which is governments and central banks. Okay. I don't know why people find it so hard to see the facts, but some of them are paid not to see the facts because their entire career depends upon them not seeing the factual evidence. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know, when you say like the Fiat Ponzi, right? Like uh, I'm familiar with it because I, you know, I, I watch your stuff. I, I, I read what you write and what, what do you mean uh, by the Fiat Ponzi sure. system? Okay. Look, Fiat money, which is essentially paper money, uh, where you can print more of it without repercussion, meaning it feels great when you're an ordinary citizen and the government prints money and deposits in your bank account, you feel more rich. It really penalizes you in the long run that they're doing that and, and take it to an extreme. If the government can print money, why do people work? Why don't why doesn't the government <laughs> just print money? And why do people work and pay taxes? So you know that there's intrinsically a problem there. But the biggest fiat Ponzi for me is from the credit side, okay? And it's as simple as this. We have reached a credit level as a percentage of our tax base or gross domestic product that it is impossible for the economy, which is your tax base, to ever grow at a pace that'll even be able to pay the interest on the yeah. debt, let alone the principal on the debt. That's what's called the debt spiral. And therefore, the Fiat Ponzi can only exist by printing more money. And by printing more money, the value of the money that you hold right now gets debased like it has over the last 100 years. What happens, though, is it accelerates. And in some cases, because you guys are privileged in the USA. Yep. But in some cases, countries print so much money that they're they essentially, the money becomes worthless, yeah. like in Venezuela, where it gets shoveled to the curb and it's not even worth burning, let alone trying to take to a store because to take it to a store, you need a wheelbarrow to buy a <laughs> loaf of bread. Yeah. So this is what happens when you have undisciplined central bankers and federal politicians who you know, egg on the central bankers to, hey, come on, look, I need to get elected for another four years. So can you turn tweak the switches. So we'll give some of the population more money. So in the short term, they'll feel rich, but really in the long term, it's making them poorer, more poor at an accelerated basis. That's what I term the Fiat Ponzi. Absolutely. It is 100% certain mathematically that the US dollar and all other Fiat currencies will continue to debase on an accelerated basis. It's pure credit. And this is why I can say it with 30 years of experience of working in the credit markets. Yeah. Wow. So so I, I've seen you write that essentially Bitcoin is a hedge against the fiat Ponzi, right? So that's my, yeah, that's my my the gist of coming at it from a credit perspective, correct? Yeah, so for, so sitting in your risk uh, chair that you've sat in for, for so long, how does Bitcoin kind of stack on that uh, on that risk profile of yours. Yeah. 
So great questions. You've obviously done some research. I appreciate that, by the way. Like I, I have taglines and I, I, I never get sick of saying them. What, what's good is that it's actually sinking in, right? That people are, are getting it because, you know, a lot of times, well, and here's an aside. Look, there was this, these Bitcoin maxis who, uh, they're, God bless them, okay? But some of them are really toxic. And they were saying, ah, oh, that guy Foss. All he ever does is repeat the same 10 phrases over and over again. And they called it Bitcoin bingo. But the reason I do that is because most people, it goes one ear in one ear and out the other. But by the 10th time it goes in their ear, they're like, ah, I finally get it. I finally get it. But, okay, look, Bitcoin is everything that fiat money is not, okay? It's got fixed supply, 21 million forever and ever. It's decentralized. There's no banker that can be uh, essentially paid off or who can participate in the printing of money and advantage himself and all his cronies by being closer to the money, money printer. That's why there's a lot of what's called the Cantillion effect, yeah. where the people that benefit the most from printing money are the people that already have all the assets. They will at least maintain their value in the context of a deep debasing currency. Most of the population in the United States and around the world are not privileged like that. They don't have a ton of hard assets. They generally live paycheck to paycheck. They might have $10,000 of savings, most of which is held in a bank account. And that $10,000 of savings is losing purchasing power. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin solves all of the problems, okay? It is, and we can go through it, but you guys know what they are, okay? It's scarce, it's transferable. It's portable, it's verifiable, it's everything you want in a store of value. Yeah. It, you'll say, okay, so what about gold? Well, let's go through the things that gold doesn't hit. It's not scarce. It's growing at 2% a year while the price is at its current level. But what if the price of gold was to double? Do you think that the current supply of gold, which is around 2% annually, would stay at 2% annually if gold went from 2000 to No, 5, they would 000? mine more of it. Close. They have to because the, the, there's certain reserves in the ground that aren't you know, profitable to mine at 2000 bucks, but for sure they would be profitable to mine at 5000 bucks. Okay, so... While the gold supply is relatively low, it's not predictable. Well, Bitcoin is. The halving every four years, it's a beautiful thing. It's math and code. Yeah. All right. So it's got scarcity, transferability. Okay. Everyone say, ah, oh, you can transfer gold. Well, come on, guys. Don't yeah. lie about that stuff. Portability, same thing. Verifiability. Gosh, how much fool's gold is there out there? How much <laughs> tungsten? What is the actual gold that's held in Fort Knox. Like you can't audit this. Okay. So, so Bitcoin is just so much better on so many fronts. I need to throw a mea culpa out there. I own some gold to yeah. people like, <laughs> because it's, it, you just never know as Larry Lapard, a very smart gold manager, who's moving a lot of his exposure from gold into Bitcoin says gold is the insurance that Bitcoin doesn't succeed. Okay. Like, you know, you have to have these various things. And so why people say FOSS, you're so convinced Bitcoin is the right answer. Why are you not a hundred percent in? And my answer is 
It's not the way I've ever managed risk, okay? I don't, and, and the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is you don't need to be 100% in to participate in the upside that I believe is coming. So if you have 20% of your portfolio, which is a lot in Bitcoin, and it goes to the price target I think it goes to, 20% you'll do just fine, <laughs> okay? And, and that's the way you manage risk. So the only thing I can tell you is, I'm very unconvinced that bonds are a good investment right now. Yeah. And just base your risk exposure on the various opportunities, the asymmetry of the trade. Bitcoin has asymmetric upside. I'll say it again. It is the best asymmetric yeah. return opportunity I have ever seen in my over 35 years. Wow. So, so you, you talked about, um, you talked about a price target um, yeah. <laughs> just for the people who haven't heard it. Uh, and, and since you're not only an expert in bonds, you're an expert in math. Uh, can you explain or what's your estimated price target? Obviously you don't have to give a timeline on it, but what's I your won't. price, <laughs> what's your price target and, and how do you, how, how do you come up with that? Yeah, or sure. how do you, how, yeah. how did you calculate that? So, I just look at the total addressable market of financial assets in the world. And I say, what should Bitcoin, what portion of Bitcoin, what portion of those total assets should Bitcoin capture? Okay. So let's start with the facts. These are Institute of International Finance uh, statistics. Yeah. Total global financial assets in the world measured in US dollars are 900 trillion US dollars. That includes all debt, okay? 400 trillion of it. That includes all real estate, 300 trillion. That includes all equities, I mentioned 100 trillion. Right now we're up to $800 trillion. Throw in commodities, throw in fine art, throw in gold, throw in currencies. Easily you get to over 900 trillion US dollars in today's dollars. This is key in today's yeah. dollars. I think. It's not crazy that Bitcoin captures 5% of that total addressable market, okay? Why would it capture 5%? Well, I think that Bitcoin will become the global reserve asset of the world and supplant US treasuries as that because wow. eventually I think that major natural resource exporting nations like Canada, like Russia, like Saudi Arabia will not price their produce in petrodollars, they'll price it in Bitcoin. So stick with me. Even if that doesn't happen, I'm taking a 5% number of the total addressable assets or total addressable market. 5% of 900 trillion is $45 trillion. 45 trillion US dollars in today's dollars divided by 21 million Bitcoin forever and ever is over 2 million US dollars per Bitcoin in today's wow. dollars. Okay. That's at a 5% penetration. I think that's low. What if it's 20%? Well, yeah. take my number and multiply <laughs> it by four. But I won't give you a target, excuse me, a timeline on my target. I'll just tell you it's measured in today's dollars. And I'm going to flip it on its ear, give you a little probability analysis to think about because I'm a, I'm a math guy and then I'm going to have to run. Absolutely. The market is currently trading at around 40,000 to make my math easy. 
And that's in today's dollars. And I have a target of 2 million, which means 40,000 divide by 2 million. The market is only giving me a one in 50 chance that I'm right. That's 2%. Yeah. Now I'm not a hundred percent certain. <laughs> I'll just tell you, I'm way more certain than 2%. Now you guys got to figure out what percent you guys are comfortable with a price target and then adjust your weighting accordingly. I can yep. only tell you that a 2% chance the market is giving me is way low. And I think I need to buy those odds. Okay. Yep. And again, I'm not 100% certain, but I play a probability analysis my whole life. The only wrong answer to your exposure to Bitcoin is a 0% exposure. So therefore, Agreed. Charlie Munger is wrong. Okay. <laughs> he is intellectually lazy. I don't think so. He's poor at math. Possible, but I don't think so. He's conflicted. Ugh. That sucks. Yeah. A guy who's actually could, you know, change the world and pass a legacy on has decided it's better to be conflicted than it is to be honest. And that really bugs me. Yeah. So all I will say is do your math, hug your kids, pass generational wealth opportunities to your children Hold on, Sammy, I'm coming. And, and basically really appreciate the opportunity that Bitcoin has presented us, okay? Bitcoin is hope. It's Absolutely. the most beautiful technological innovation I've ever seen, okay? And you need to understand, these don't come around often. And when you get a guy like Charlie Munger telling you to ignore this opportunity, I think he's giving you horrible advice. What you need to understand is, how much above zero should you own? If the answer is 2%, okay, so be it. But the wrong answer is zero. Absolutely. Because no one knows for certain. And in my case, I'm going to lay this out. I own 40% of my wow. net worth in Bitcoin. It's not 100, but it's pretty it's darn <laughs> substantial. Okay. Yeah, so absolutely. thanks so much for having me. I yeah, got to run you for with coming my daughter on. and pick up, uh, pick up our dinner on a Sunday evening. The United States is the greatest country in the world, okay? Canada Amen. used to be pretty, pretty good. We're, we're losing it, but it doesn't even matter, okay? We need the United States to maintain the bastion of freedom that it always has been. And that includes free money. That includes Bitcoin, in my opinion, okay? Agreed. Uh, thank you for being what you guys are. I will end it on this. I have worked and gone to school in the United States I'm very thankful for my experience down there. I had a roommate that was killed in 9-11, in okay? Uh, I know what the U.S. is all about. Don't take it for granted, people. You can lose your freedom very quickly, like we have in Canada, when the government decided it was appropriate to start freezing people's bank accounts. Yeah. Horrible, horrible, but... There you go. They're your first responders in Chicago. I know those guys at Blue Collar Bitcoin. Look them up. <laughs> Thanks, everything. Uh, it's great talking to you. Greg. Uh, meeting you. Thank yeah, you. thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Enjoy your dinner My with pleasure. your family. Thanks, Cheers, buddy. brother. All right. Talk to you Take guys care. soon. Thanks again, guys. Good night.